Hello, and welcome to the Confluence Podcast. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. We're a donor-supported nonprofit that connects people to place through art and education. This podcast is about the confluences of history, culture, and ecology that define the Columbia River system. March 10th, 2007 marked the 50th anniversary of the Dalles Dam, 50 years to the day when the mighty roar of Celilo Falls went silent. At the time of the anniversary, I was a radio reporter for Oregon Public Broadcasting, and we had a show called Oregon Territory. We spent one entire half-hour program on a documentary I produced about what happened to Celilo Falls and what it means for us today. For the first Confluence podcast, we revisit that documentary. It's in two parts. This is part one, with special thanks to Oregon Public Broadcasting. Welcome to Oregon Territory. I'm Colin Fogarty. Fifty years ago, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers closed the floodgates for the first time on the Dalles Dam. On March 10, 1957, the Columbia River changed its course. For half the day, the river actually stopped. When it began again, the economy of the Northwest was changed. Barges could navigate the river without much difficulty for the first time. To this day, when you flip on the lights or boot up a computer, chances are some of the electricity comes from the Dalles Dam. But something else happened on March 10, 1957. Celilo Falls fell silent. It was an icon of the Northwest, a natural wonder on par with Niagara Falls, It was one of the most productive fishing grounds anywhere. And it's gone. Celilo Village today is a collection of dilapidated shacks and manufactured homes. Windows on one trailer near the center of town are broken out. An old blanket keeps the wind out. Dogs roam freely here. The sound of Celilo Village is the sound of the freeway and an occasional train. And the quiet lapping of tiny waves on the calm pool that is the Columbia River. It can't be more different than it was 50 years ago. What did it look like? It was busy. People moving, all the fishing activities. Wilbur Slotkish is one of the many voices we'll hear from this week on Oregon Territory. Slotkish was too young to fish on Celilo Falls, but he and his friends got hold of fish anyway. I used to come back here and run around on these rocks and help them guys with their fish, and they'd give me a nickel, dime, quarter, helping them you know, with their fish, throwing it. I know they used to laugh because some of those fish were way bigger than me, but I'd still struggle to get them to where they, were, they wanted them. And one person asked me once, how it was to catch a fish and bring it over. And I said, well, I don't know what a million dollars is, but if that was a feeling it describes, it's a million dollar feeling. Ronald Jim grew up in Celilo Village too. He still lives here and still hears the sound of Celilo Falls in his dreams. When the falls are here, it sounds like a big old echo of a thunder echoing back and forth on the rocks here. Sound sound kind of different from where we was. And it was something different anyways. So in other words, it sounded differently depending on where you stood? Yeah. When you got close to the river, you could smell fish. And the moisture, of the, like a spray of fog coming up from the water, blowing around. The river looked a lot cleaner then. 
So we sit there by the platforms and watch the guys pull the fish off out of their nets that fish would be flapping around, hitting the board, and guys would be clubbing them with their clubs. To, some guys would feel sorry for us, the older guys, they'd bring us a fish, give it to us, take home. <laughs> some would buy it off us and we'd go up and buy ourselves pop and candy at the time. <laughs> Ever seldom once in a while, I think about the falls and I kind of think about it, then I just like kind of hear it once in a while. My mind, I guess, in my heart. My name is uh, Chief Johnny Jackson. My Indian name is Tawatash, and I'm the Cascade Chief. I lived on the river all my life. You saw Niagara Falls? Uh-huh. How does Niagara Falls compare to Salilo uh, Falls? Well, it's a, it's a beautiful long fall, but then it didn't have the creation that this has. There's a big difference, and it doesn't have the roar that this one had. Johnny Jackson is 76 years old now, one of the few people left who fished Salilo Falls as an adult. He remembers flying from island to island in the river, on high-wire cable cars, early precursors of today's aerial tram. Sometimes you could, uh, if you had a lot of fish in them, your feet would touch the water, and that thing would kind of bounce. But we'd ride them. How, when you were fishing, how often did you catch a fish? Sundays, I got fish all day, and I'd catch uh, as much as 10 or 20 or 30 sacks of fish. And each one of those sacks would weigh around 80 pounds or not more. When you were out there, well, I've seen film of it, it looked dangerous. Yeah, but they had, uh, they had uh, rules and laws. You, you had a rope there, you had to use that rope. Because you get a big 40-some uh, pound uh, Chinook, and he turns himself sideways in that that all that current, you know you got to fight on your hands. I've been jerked off from scaffolds over there. My mother and my grandmothers, their duty was to cut the fish, slice it, hang it and dry it, salt it, put it in barrels, and they dried all of it, even the heads. That fish was really important. When I used to get sick as a little child, first thing my mother, grandma would do, and my mother, they'd get that dry fish out, they'd get the fish heads out, they'd boil them, big potful, drink that uh, soup, and that, I'd get well. When I grew up, I was taught to respect that fish, not to play with it or not to try to do anything else use it for what it was here for, what it was given to us for. Historian Katrina Barber is the author of Death of Salilo Falls. One historian, Richard White, described it as a place where it was as if somebody had put their thumb over the, the opening to a garden hose. The water came through with great velocity at that particular um, area. It was a series of falls and rapids. It also would have been an obviously Indian place. And I think that that's a big change on the Columbia River. There's no place where you're just confronted 
with a different way of life, with a different way of engaging with that river. Barber says Salilo Falls represented an economic center of gravity for tribes throughout the region. It was also a social and cultural center. Where they could meet there, re-engage with family ties and so forth, look for mates. In addition to that, it's a place of spiritual significance that uh, regenerated people's um, understanding of their own place in the world. Um, One of the things that was interesting about the negotiations is that it was very clear that the Army Corps of Engineers could handle the economic importance of Celilo Falls, a lot less clear that they could figure out how to integrate or understand the spiritual significance of the falls. Those negotiations among tribes and the Army Corps of Engineers resulted in $26 million in payments. But the money remains controversial among the tribes to this day. Some got paid, some didn't, and others refused it. One of those was the centenarian chief of the Celilo village, Tommy Thompson. The late chief's last wife was Flora Kashunue Thompson. Before she died, she gave an oral history to the Oregon Historical Society. In it, she described a Colonel Parker from the Army Corps of Engineers coming to ask Chief Thompson to sell out. She was laying on the bed over there. He says, may I ask you how old you are? Uh, Colonel Parker, he says, 40 years. Oh, you're just a little boy. Now you want to buy my fishing? And, then, uh, and I was standing right there, and I says, well, Colonel Parker, there's your answer. You're not going to make him negotiate with you, and I'm not going to persuade him either. So you've got your correct answer now. You tell your other engineers, colonels, to never come and interfere with him no more. But the Dalles Dam went up anyway. Eddie Edmo marveled at the building of the dam from the window of a school bus on his way to the Dalles every day. It's something, boy. It's really something how they, how they, how them guys can put dams in, you know, all the construction stuff. You know, in, in 57 when they flooded it, and I went, I skipped school and watched them flood Slilo. Tell me about that day. I just, I don't know, it just, it's sad. <laughs> Today on Oregon Territory, we're remembering Celilo Falls. Our website, opbnews.org, has film of the falls and a special photo gallery of what Celilo Village looks like today. When we come back after a short break, the flooding of Celilo Falls and those who have grown up in the silence. <laughs> 